This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash adventures in Angular. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Alyssa Nichol. Hey, everybody. Good to be here. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're talking to Sasha Grief. Sasha, you want to say hi? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be joining you today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we are here kind of digging in on the state of JS survey. Do you want to just tell us briefly what that is and how you pulled it together? Sure. So uh, the state of JS is uh, a yearly tradition that's been going for, uh, well, I guess two years now. So I don't know if that counts as a tradition, but I'm oh, trying to make it, it one. <laughs> cool. So yeah, every year, um, uh, usually, well, this past two years, it's been around like August. I collect data from a bunch of developers about uh, what they perceive the state of the JavaScript ecosystem is. And then I compile that data and publish um, the results. So, you know, the first year, the first time we did it, well, I did it by myself. And we had, uh, you know, I think 10,000, about 10,000, 9,000 um, respondents. And this year, um, so I actually had some help from a couple other people. And we were able to collect more data. So I think 23,000. Uh, responses and do a, a better job with the data visualizations for the results as well. So that's I kind of the idea. You got 10,000 responses like your first go around by yourself. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised too. It was, uh, it was a lot. I think, you know, part of it was because I had kind of built a small following in the, the JavaScript community already through like books and blogging and stuff. But also I think the real reason is there was just a big demand for something like that. Uh, it was just something that people needed, right? Because there was so much uncertainty in the in the, the ecosystem, and people were, you know, really confused between all the the frameworks libraries coming out. Um, we had the, the JavaScript fatigue meme going around, <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah. I think that's why, yeah, the first edition was so successful because people were just waiting for something like that. Nice. What uh, what inspired you to do it? Like, I know that there definitely was a need for it um, two years back when you first started it, but what was it that like kicked you off into wanting to do something like this? I think it's mostly my own questions about JavaScript, right? Because I was um, like, as a bit of personal background, I was very involved in the Meteor ecosystem, and Meteor is a is an all in one framework, right? And so you don't really need to go out and look for uh, a build tool and a front-end library and a router and, and so on, because uh, most of these are kind of packaged. And so when I kind of came out of that ecosystem, when I started paying more attention to what was going around in the 
JavaScript community at large, uh, I, I suffered from JavaScript fatigue myself pretty quickly, right? I was very, uh, you know, I kind of picked React uh, as a front-end library of choice, but that may, even after that, like, it wasn't uh, super clear if I should be using Redux or not, for example, uh, if GraphQL was something worth looking into. So, um, yeah, I had the same questions as everybody else, and I, I thought a survey might be a good way to, to answer them. That's awesome, man. I love it. Yeah, I really, I really like it. It's, it's interesting just to see to kind of a snapshot of where people are at. And yeah, and by and the also way, the, oh, sorry, you go. Oh, I was just going to say it. one thing I wanted to know, which I couldn't really uh, find the answer to is not only have like usage data, like know which frameworks are more popular because, you know, you have NPM stats, GitHub stars, but one thing those stats can tell you is if people are happy or not with mm -hmm. uh, these tools, right? The satisfaction. So that's what I wanted to um, to capture. And that that's the, the thing I feel is most important because who cares if, you know, 30% uh, of all developers are using, like, let's say, Backbone, if the reason they are using it is because it's all legacy systems and they wish nothing more than migrate to Angular or React. Obviously, in that situation, you don't want to learn Backbone, but it's hard to know that just from raw usage numbers. Yeah, well, and Backbone and Ember developers make more than everybody else, so... <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I really kind of geeked out over this data. It oh, was fun. Okay, okay. Is that because, <laughs> you know, they're working on, like, larger, older systems? There's kind of a survivor bias going on, right? Like, the only Backbone apps that remain are probably pretty profitable and pretty big. So maybe that's why... Um, developers can earn more working on them. Yeah, we, we can dig into all of that. A Angular 2 developers are the, the poor people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think there are a lot of uh, interesting what's and why's. Um, I'm curious, you mentioned you had some people helping you get the word out. And before we dig in to the actual numbers in here, because I think it's interesting, you know, even if we can detect a little bit of a bias one way or the other, it, it is helpful to know, okay, still, even still, you know, if there is a little bit of bias maybe toward React or toward, you know, people that are in your network and the people who are helping you share it in their network. Um, I mean, I still think that we can detect trends here and have conversations about, hey, you know, uh, we're all using the same build tools or generally, you know, so do we like them and where are things moving? I, I think a lot of that is going to pay off one way or the other. And then, you know, I, I've also heard from some people who have a dog in the hunt one way or the other, you know, with, you know, they, they just absolutely love Angular and they think it's the best thing ever. Or, you know, the same thing on backends, you know, with Koa or Express. And so, you know, I hear them explaining away some of this due to bias. Um, and, and I just kind of want to address that head on first thing. So, you know, you and the other folks who helped get the word out, uh, wh what are the backgrounds of, of you guys? Okay, so I guess I should explain. So my background, okay, I'm, uh, well, coming from Meteor, but now involved a lot in the React community. And uh, the site itself, like the results, it's all React. Um, so I collaborated with two other developers to build it. So um, funnily enough, they are both uh, French JavaScript developers who live in Japan. So just like me. And it kind of <laughs> <Nice>. just happened. <laughs> Like Are you that. French? We just met. Yeah, yeah, I am. So, um, 
we we kind of met at local tech events, and then we were like, oh, you you do JavaScript too? Oh, you have a a survey? Oh, you have a for example, uh, Michael uh, Michael Rambo, the one of the other developers, he has a site called Best of JS, where uh, it's not a survey, it's actually um, uh, GitHub stats. So every day he crawls GitHub for uh, the number of stars for all uh, major JavaScript projects, and that lets him build a, a trend graph. Uh, and it's an awesome resource. It's not very well known, but it was mm -hmm. pretty cool to, to discover somebody else like working in pretty much exactly the same space as me, living like a couple of miles away. And then the, the last person uh, on the team, um, Rafael Benit, he's uh, an awesome uh, like front-end, back-end, all-around uh, JavaScript developer. And he has a library called uh, Nivo or, or Nivo, N-I-V-O JS, which is a React visualization library. And uh, also probably not as well-known as uh, some other alternatives, but it's like really impressive and really uh, well done. Like all the graphs in the, this year's SIP.js are done using Nevo. And so, yeah, I mean, we have kind of this React background, but I think I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't assume it automatically translates into bias in the results because unlike the first year, um, this year we didn't have to rely on my own personal network as much because people already knew about the survey and we had uh, the mailing list from last year. So I think, you know, the more we grow our, our audience, the more we, the more responses we get, the less bias will be a factor. Um, as far, at least as far as in like, you know, React versus Angular versus Vue and so on. Um, now I, I do think there is a bias in a way in that people who will answer the survey are the types of people who answer surveys. Um, <laughs> meaning, you know, if, if all you care about is that like doing your nine to five and just do whatever you're told and you don't really care which technology you use, um, well, you're not going to take the time to, uh, you know, spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes to answer the survey. You're not going to seek out all these new libraries and have an opinion on them. So obviously the results will be biased towards kind of the, the cutting edge, the, you know, the, the early adopters, I guess. Uh, so that's true, and I think that can definitely influence the results. But at the same time, it also kind of make them maybe be more representative of the future in a way, like how things will look like a year, two years from now, which I think is actually uh, pretty useful. Yeah, I think I think uh, just talking about the survey in some of the other terms that you have in here, you know, one of them across all of these is. Um, you know, I've used it and I'll never use it again. And there's, uh, I've used it and I will use it again. And then there are also people that say, I've never used it, but I want to learn it. And I think that's pretty interesting in just projecting the future. You know, I, I know that not all of those people are going to take the time to learn all those things. But at the same time, um, you know, if there's a strong interest in something, then, you know, that does indicate that there's some movement there. Yeah, definitely. There are some technologies where it's like super... Uh, interesting just to see how many people have this this positive uh, impression of it and are interested in it. Like uh, GraphQL is the best example where there's um, this huge block of people who might not quite know what it is, haven't used it, but they've just heard so much that it's definitely like on, on their radar and it's something they want to try out as soon as possible. Yep. Alyssa, anything you want to bring up before we hit the data? 
I just was thinking about how whenever I heard of your survey, um, it was actually through my boss and he was like telling me, yeah, we should hold off on this white paper that we're releasing before uh, Sasha Greek's survey comes out because we want to make sure like that that's in the paper. And so like since that was like my first time hearing about it, I honestly thought it was like this well-established, like long, like going thing. And so whenever you said you've only been doing it for two years, I was like, what? Because you're so, I guess, like already nestled into the community as like, that's the survey. So I just wanted to bring that up because I thought that was really cool. <laughs> yeah, that, that's really cool. I think maybe what happened is that some other people did surveys uh, before and maybe there's uh, some, you know, I kind of benefited from the confusion where people were like, oh, that's it's this year survey and they didn't really pay attention to who was doing it um and also i did call it the state of javascript which is you know i, I realized afterwards it kind of i'm not really pretending but i'm kind of establishing myself as the reference which you know obviously i'm not i'm just a guy doing it but <laughs> i have to pick a name that which makes it sound like you know yeah no i mean it's a know. very semantic well-written name so i think uh, i think it worked out well for you <laughs> yep absolutely well, and again, it, it, it kind of harks back to that idea of kind of a snapshot during the month or so that you run it. So, yeah. So let's let's dive into the data. Where, where do you want to start, Alyssa? I'm kind of curious to see what you're interested in. Um, as far as like, are we just like taking yeah, chunks? Just, or yeah, going... just which, which part of the survey? Um, I would like to talk about, not necessarily a specific framework, but... Um, I guess the, how you were talking, I want to go back to the thought of like backbone devs are making more. Um, cause I was actually talking about this with my friends after we went through the survey results about just pay and different, like, like frameworks and why. Um, and I'd love to hear like you, what you guys think about it. Like, have you, have you both pondered it? <laughs> yeah. So the way I look at it is there's probably like a, you know, correlation versus causation thing going on where, uh, if you see that backbone devs are making more, it might, it might be, you know, okay, the naive explanation, I guess, would be like, oh, backbone is the hottest thing. If I learn backbone, I'll, I'll start <laughs> making more. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think what's going on maybe is that, um, backbone is an older technology. So people who learn backbone will be like kind of older, more senior, and they'll naturally make more. You know, also, um, when people, like show up as backbone developers in that chart. It doesn't necessarily mean they only do backbone, right? It's like people who have mentioned that they use backbone. So it mm -hmm. might be someone right. who knows backbone, but has since learned Angular, uh, React, Vue, and they're making more not because of backbone specifically, but because they have this experience. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's super interesting to see that data, but I wouldn't really use it like to make any career decisions necessarily. Yeah, I I would chime in here as well and just, uh, I guess the cautionary tale of this is that we're looking at a total of probably, what, 100 people under Ember and Backbone and Aurelia and Polymer that are right. in the top yeah. four. Yeah, and that's, so that's true. Yeah. It, you don't have a really indicative sample size on any of this. Um, I mean, the numbers get better once you're looking at like, um, you know, ang Angular or... Um, because you're saying you have a better sample? Yeah, you have a much larger sample on Angular, Angular 2, Vue, React, 
Um, you know, if, if you look at the just the overall results, I mean, Aurelia, Ember, and Polymer are the lowest as far as usage and then Backbone. And then it, right. ju- it jumps way up for Angular 2. And so, yeah, I, I, would, I would put a little bit of caution out there. I think Sasha has the right idea um, as far as, like, developers and salaries go. You know, you're going to have some older apps. Of course, Aurelia is interesting, but uh, you had Durandal way back in the Angular 1 days that mm-hmm. turned into Aurelia. Um, so, so it's kind of an interesting mix there. Um, but yeah, um, I think also since Ember, Backbone, Aurelia, Polymer are not the, the, the big de facto, um, widely used frameworks, I think it also plays to a little bit to just scarcity of people out there who will do it. And so, yeah, that's what I was thinking was maybe whether it's because they're, because it's like scarce or whether it's because people just don't want to write those <laughs> like frameworks or languages. Um, maybe that's why like it's like more in demand. So you can like basically ask for more as a developer with that. But I do see, I know like you're saying where the, the spread isn't perfectly even. So it's kind of hard to like take away like 100% fact statements <laughs> about these things. But I still think it's, Interesting that those numbers are higher, even even with the spread being off. So. Yeah. One other thing I oh, want sorry. to throw in here real quick is that the boot camps are turning out people in React and Angular. And yeah. so a lot of junior developers are going to have experience with those where they won't with some of these others. And that Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, If you're a, a junior developer looking for your first job, are you going to learn React or are you going to learn Aurelia, right? Like learning those lesser known, lesser used framework is kind of a luxury that you can only afford if you're kind of confident that you're going to, you know, find a job and maybe you have these other skills to fall back on. So. Yeah. And you can also see this with the average years of experience. If you go down to the next uh, graph, um, you know, Aurelia developers, 5% is one to two years and 1% is less than one year where you have, uh, for example, Angular 2 has 2% that's uh, less than a year and 12% that's, you know, one to two years. And so, you know, you can see a little bit of correlation there, too. I'm not saying the one causes the other, but it, it's also interesting to just look at these numbers and kind of go, oh, that's interesting. I also like that you put the aggregated on there. So it's like, hey, if we average everybody. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to have this also to be able to kind of rank them and and sort them in in the right order. Yeah. All right. So I I have to, since we're on the front end frameworks portion, I know people are waiting for somebody to ask this um, and and I'll play bad cop, I guess. So it it says right here, you know, um, react is still the dominant player. Vue is making big gains on the back of Angular's diminishing popularity. No way, dude. (laughs) I'm sure somebody's sitting there going WTF, man. Um, but but yeah, I, I'm curious to you know just see. Do do you have any other indication as to you know why we may be seeing a decline in one area and an increase in the other? Well, I, I guess I should preface this by saying that uh, I, I really don't know m- that much about Angular uh, or Vue, I guess. So um, uh, um, it's definitely possible that I'm getting some of it wrong. And also, uh, I mean, I I do write that uh, we have these small like blurbs above the charts, but. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, the, the chart is the main thing, right? So I'm not right. trying to like uh, 
push my own view of things too much. Um, but anecdotally, I've heard of from a lot of people who have gone from Angular to Vue. Um, like speaking about Vue specifically, it's like the fastest rising project in terms of uh, GitHub popularity. So it's I think uh, because we have this other project called uh, Rising Stars JS, which um, is kind of tied into Best of JS, which I was talking about earlier. And uh, Rising Stars JS analyzes the number of stars. Uh, put on by each project and view put on, I think 40,000 stars in the 2017, which, you know, 40,000 is like more than, you know, most really popular projects have in total. And that's what view uh, added in one year. And that's uh, a bigger increase than react even. So I, I think it's certainly true that view is getting more and more popular. And then I also think that uh, maybe Vue's approach is a little bit closer to Angular's than React. Um, I've heard, yeah, I've heard from a lot of people who kind of like it better um, compared to React, precisely because it's closer to what they already know from, you know, Angular or other uh, libraries. Um, so that's what kind of my reasoning behind uh, what I wrote there, um, that Vue is making big gains on the back of Angular's diminishing popularity. Now, when I write diminishing popularity, I think, you know, it, it's certainly not to say that Angular isn't like progressing and going forward. I think I was thinking more about how Angular was like a couple years back where it was pretty much number one um, and maybe or maybe number two once React uh, kind of established itself more. Now I think it's more like a, a three-way race with you. So Mm -hmm. That was my thinking. It wasn't to imply that, oh, Angular is going to go away or, uh, you know, is going downhill. Uh, not at all. Yeah, because I think yeah. I was actually reading today a post about, because you guys know AngularJS um, is going to have its final release, like 1.7 in July. Um, and so I was reading about that and they were talking about how essentially, like, I guess a review in the past. And you're right. I feel like there are like more like the other frameworks are competing more now, but I still think like as far as our Angular community, um, they were like listing off numbers and it's like still growing from where it was back in the Angular JS days. So what's okay. still growing? Yeah. The usage of Angular um, one. Uh no, the usage of Angular. Yeah. Um so like because they were comparing like so back in Angular JS days we had this many people using our docs on this basis and now we have like this many and it's like continually growing larger. So um, that to me was like, oh, good, we're still healthy, we're still a thriving community, even though we have competition, basically. Yeah, I mean, a few things that I'm seeing here. One is is that between Angular one listed here and Angular two listed here, um, you know, we we get to better than halfway up the chart that React has for its. Um, I've used it before and would use it again, and uh, Vue is right smack in the middle of those two. So between Angular one and Angular two, you know, I. I can see, and, and Angular's kind of in a weird place too because they're trying to sell people on moving to Angular 2 and they still have large code bases written in Angular 1. And so, I, I mean, it's, I, I think there's a lot going on there and it's really hard to put these numbers behind things one way or the other. Uh, the other thing that I'll point out, and then this is probably the number that I'm most interested in across all of these, is the, I've I've heard about it and would like to learn it. Um, the highest is Vue and then React and then, or sorry, it's Vue and then Polymer. 
which polymers, you know, been on last year. It was, I think it looked pretty similar actually, um, as far as usage and interest. Um, but then it's a react and then angular two, and they're both it, at 6,000 respondents saying, Hey, I'd like to learn this. So I really don't think that it's going anywhere if anyone's panicked about it. And I also think that we're going to need a little more time to see this settle out because, you know, we're starting to see these time horizons, as Alyssa pointed out, as far as the Angular 1 support goes. Now, they're going to keep adding security patches, but they're not going to add any new features after July. So Right. It's essentially like no more breaking changes. Yeah. So how many people are we going to see kind of nudged more over toward Angular 2? And how many of those people are going to say, well, if we're going to switch to Angular 2, we may as well look at View and React and find their way over to those? I just, I don't know if we really know that, and I don't know if we will for another year or so. Well, I mean, as a total outsider, maybe my perception it might be wrong with uh, which, if it is, please correct me, but I wonder if like maybe there's not a, a refocusing of the target audience between AngularJS and uh, Angular, where AngularJS was kind of trying to go after everybody, and mm -hmm. Angular is a little bit more focused on the enterprise, and, you know, there's like TypeScript, there's more of a more structured approach, maybe more like, um, I don't know. Um, yeah, just more uh, solid, like more enterprise approach. Yeah, I think you're right in a way, but I also see things like in the labs, like Angular Elements, for instance, um, which are like still an experimental phase, but basically like a way to wrap things up um and then use them in any type of project without the full angular ecosystem so like you could use this angular component for instance in a react app or something and that that to me is the opposite um of trying to go after enterprise but it's more like the layman's man like on your everyday project so i i feel like they're they still have people on the team who um you know love and target like your everyday kind of developer but i do think because it is a product made by a large industry, like large company, um, it makes sense that since it's meeting that large company's needs, that it would also meet other large companies' needs. So, um, yeah. but yeah, I think, I think you're right though to think that as far as where AngularJS was at, because I think it was just a bit, it was just a baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the other <laughs> thing is, is that, um, at least in my opinion, Angular 2 is far more opinionated than Angular 1. There's much more of an Angular way to do things in Angular 2 than there is in Angular 1. And a lot mm. of the tools and ecosystem are provided by Google, um, you know, or at least the way that you use them like Webpack are wrapped up in Angular CLI in, a, in most cases that I talk to people anyway. And so there, there's really kind of an Angular way to do it. And with Angular 1, it was a lot loose, a lot looser as far as how you structured your apps and how you put this stuff together and, and, you know, where <laughs> things belonged and things like and that. And what kind of service you use. And <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think Vue kind of comes down a ways from that. It's not as highly opinionated. Um, but it still does have opinions. And when you go to pull something in, a lot of times it's something that was written by the Vue team but it's not included in the view package. You, you'll go out and you'll pull it in on your own. Where React, React is just a, a library that manages the DOM, and then the yeah. rest of the ecosystem provides everything else. And sure, you know, I think they, you're you're they, really right with that, like the whole the spread. But I, <laughs> sorry, what were you saying? Finish what were you saying? Well, you know, you have Redux and uh, or Relay. You have um, 
you know, so you have all these other packages that, you know, are put out by Facebook, but they're all completely independent of each other. And the other thing just to keep in mind is that some people want to go out and they want to kind of custom build their stack. And other people want this nice way of, hey. Who are these people, Chuck? (laughs) Who are these people? (laughs) I started a whole podcast for them, so uh, I'm getting to know them better. But but yeah, you know, some people, they, they really like the simplicity of just the React library and I go pull in what I need. And other people, they just kind of want the, okay, this is the way we do this in Angular. And then some people are, they're like, you know what? Angular is a little too heavy handed with basically prescribing that I use TypeScript. And so they go, they go and use Vue.js or something else. And so I think what we're really seeing is that a lot of people are coming in and learning one of these technologies and then they're starting to figure out where they fit. And when they figure out where they fit, then they kind of settle into React or Vue or Angular. And that's not to say that you can't, um, you know, get to those places with these other libraries, but I think they lend themselves to particular ways of thinking about application development. And th- and I think that's where we're going to see these ki- things kind of settle out. The other thing, though, is that, you know, there may be some other niche that somebody comes in with uh, another tool and it it starts to take off in its own area. So we, we just, you know, we, we just don't know. But ultimately, that that's my explanation anyway, is that they all kind of serve their own communities at their own levels. And so people work, will gravitate to one or the other if they go shop them around a little bit. For you, the listeners of JavaScript Jabber, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because, I mean, I I use React a lot, but um, even I, I definitely agree that sometimes you kind of miss having more patterns and more structure, like especially when you start working with other people, because it, like if you want to teach a, a new developer React, it's like you can teach them in a day or in a really short week and there's so little to learn. So at first glance, that seems great because, oh, it's so easy to learn. But then you're like, well, OK, but that doesn't actually teach you how to write React components uh, properly and how to like at which level you should handle states and how to do all these things. And that becomes a lot harder, uh, I think, in a way, because there aren't these well-established patterns necessarily. Or if there are, they quickly become like functional programming concepts that are like, mm-hmm. like you know, not, not super, not that complex, but for someone new, it's like a whole other level of understanding, you know, things like higher order components, render props, all these really abstract concepts. So um, I, I think, actually, I think Vue is probably the one that's like getting it right in, in that middle ground. Uh, that's probably why it's so popular. But even in React, like, I think we could definitely use more structure. 
I guess I could plug my own project right now. I'm actually working on a, a React full stack framework called Vulkan.js, where one of my big goals is kind of offloading some of that, those decisions. So which router to pick, how to structure things, how to do this and that, and kind of bake that into the framework. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I've seen some basically what what you're describing here is kind of a sub framework of React, right? Where it's React plus this other yeah. stack. And this is the way that we intend you to use it. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think Vue.js, I think what they've really hit is they've hit the right middle ground for that. And then they've tied things together in ways that, uh, you know, kind of give people the other things that they want from a framework. So one other thing that I wanted to bring up on this on the front end, and I know we're spending a ton of time on this and not as much time on some of the other areas, um, is the no framework. Is it, is that like people using jQuery and just not counting it as a framework? Or is that people who are just like, nope, you know what? I, I do my, you know, uh, select <laughs> element by ID. And then I, I feel like it's got to be people using vanilla, right? Like that's what no yeah. framework means. Yeah. that That's what I'm wondering though, is, is this like, oh, well, I've got this cute little library that, you know, kind of does basic stuff, you know, or, you know, like MooTools or jQuery or yeah. If they're just, I don't know. Well, you know, I think sometimes it can be a, like a point of pride to be able to code things in vanilla JavaScript. And sometimes it's like it is the best solution for not for like a, probably not for like a SAS dashboard or something really common like that. But if it's like a really tailor made well, the last uh, kind thing of that app. I heard was um, the what is it called, guys? It's like stack edit. Um, the new, it's like the new plunker that is now on the Angular docs. Oh, stack when we were blitz. talking, stack blitz. Thank you. So stack blitz. Um, when we were talking to them, they were like, I was like, what do you use? And they're like, just JavaScript. And I was like, but what, what flavor of JavaScript? And they're like, vanilla. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so they're like, well, that's how we get the speed, right? Like that's how we yeah. get the performance. And yeah. so I think there are purpose, like reasons for people out there to actually say none. So. Well, the other thing is, is on something like Plunker, one of the things that I've seen people run into is that a lot of those are built with a framework. And so essentially you have to, if you're debugging React, if it's used React or Angular, if it's used Angular, is you have to know which things while you're debugging come out of that and which things come right. out of what you put in. And so I, I, I think that's probably a good idea for them anyway. Yeah, and there was also, I remember there was a, a post from Netflix, which was really like misinterpreted, uh, where they, they were like saying they don't use React anymore. And actually they were just only talking about their landing page. But still, like if, if you have a landing page and you just want to add a little bit of interactivity, uh, and it's like a super high traffic page, then maybe you don't want to use React or Angular just for that, you know, scroll effect or something. And you just use vanilla JavaScript then on like this specific part of your site. And then in your app or whatever, you, you use uh, a bigger library. Yep. Any other aspects of front end that we want to talk about or should we move on to something else? So one thing I want to point out, um, kind of surprised me, is that um, a majority of people only use one library. Um, and very few people use like three or more. So in a way it makes sense, but I think it goes against the idea that, oh, everybody has to learn all these libraries and 
you know, it's so hard to keep up. Actually, you know, most people, you know, they just pick something that they like and then they specialize in that and they're not really trying like to keep up with everything. Yep. Well, 1,700 people weren't happy with any of them. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> oh, I'm just imagining like all of these cynical developers like hitting that button and like none of them. <laughs> oh, just the, the testing. It was 8,400 8, were had were happy with none of them. I mean, it, 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 and this is what I find so fascinating, right? Is, you know, there were how many people? 29,000? I don't remember. Uh, 23,000, I think. 23,000. So, I mean, a good third of them, you know, it's like, I don't like any of the testing options. You know, I mean, the, yeah, the 1700 I guess, yeah, is, uh... is a good chunk, too. Uh, you know, I don't like any of the frameworks. Yeah, I hadn't really noticed that. I guess yeah, that's true. So quite a few people. Yeah. But, you know, um, you might have a bad experience with React or Angular on one project because maybe it wasn't a good fit and maybe you can give it another shot later. Yep. I don't know. So the other two areas that I really want to dive into, and Alyssa, if you have something that's different that you want to hit, um, we can we, we should hit that first because I have plenty oh, to no, say on these. I... Um, yeah, bring it up. But but the two areas that I see that are, uh, I, I think the front end game has kind of settled a bit. I mean, we might see something else that kind of revolutionizes things. But most of the frameworks out there, they've settled on components. They've settled on, you know, sort of this model of managing things and, you know, doing um, multiple writes to the DOM at the same time. And, you know, and so they've they've got all these performance and all these nice things going on. And so what people are running into now are areas in other areas like um, state management and build tools were the two that I wanted to look at. Oh, yeah. That was what I was going to say is as you were talking about how every, like, everything's pretty much settled. I was like, except for state management. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you go look at that. <laughs> you go look at that graph. And what I find funny is, is that, A, you've got GraphQL, Apollo, and Relay, which are all basically GraphQL. And you've got 14,000 people. So, you know, more than half the respondents said, I've heard of it and I would like to learn it. And then you've got another 3,000 that say that they use GraphQL. And then you've got um, 16,000 people who have never heard of Apollo and 14,000 who have never heard of Relay. And so I'm like, okay, so they know, they've, they've heard the term GraphQL and they don't know anything about the tools for it. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that happening because, like, I had a post once where it's like the, the three stages of uh, learning a new library. And first, it's like you just hear about it without knowing what it is. And then you can kind of know what it is. And then you're like, oh, I, I'm going to get fired if I don't learn that. Uh, I need to download <laughs> a, a course somewhere. Um, yep. So, yeah, there's definitely like, for me at least, I think I heard about GraphQL for maybe two years without ever like trying it out or kind of looking into it more. You know, mm -hmm. at some point I vaguely knew, okay, here's what it does. You need Relay for some reason. I don't know what Relay does. I don't know. Relay and Redux both starts with the same letters. So do they do the same thing? Maybe. Um, that was <laughs> I pretty love much. It. I love that logic. <laughs> if you mix them together, they make relax. <laughs> yeah. 
no, I was the same way though, like with GraphQL, like, yep. um, and I'm pretty sure I answered this survey and I had said, I don't know what Apollo is. So I think it goes back to what Sasha was saying earlier of how there's just too much like for us to like know it all. And I think that people are like, if I'm not using it on the day to day, of course, like, why would I have heard of it? But I, I mean, I know there's a lot of like weirdo nerds though, that like read into every article and you know, they're at least, they could at least give you a definition of it. So I'm, I'm not one of those. I'm more of like the ostrich with my head in the sand and I'm like staring at my code and it's like right by my nose. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. What, so Chuck, are you saying you, you've heard of all of this and nothing was new to you? I, from the survey? I, I do a JavaScript podcast and I talk to everybody. <laughs> so yeah, I'd heard of all of these, but you know, I, I will full, fully and freely admit that I spend a, an, disproportionate amount of time talking to people who are doing new things in the field. And so I'm going to hear about them. Mm. But anyway, um, I also think it's interesting that MobX has overtaken Relay because Relay was the original implementation of GraphQL. And now you have MobX out there for state management. Yeah, well, what I've heard a lot about Relay is that it's, um, well, first of all, you had Relay and then now Relay Modern. But uh, either way, I feel like they're they were made for Facebook's own needs, and people seem to find them a bit too complex for like everyday apps. Right. So, uh, also, I think Facebook like they they've done a great job with React, but still, it's not their core core business to be like you know evangelizing for Relay or or even GraphQL. Um, so, like for example, I know that the, the GraphQL uh, summit thing was in part organized by uh, the Apollo team. Yeah. So like the graphical conference and uh, I think Facebook, you know, they also, I think very smartly, they probably don't want to, you know, taint their uh, open source initiatives with the Facebook image in a way where they're like when one of the big uh, reasons not to use React, not to use uh, GraphQL was this whole uh, uh, Facebook uh, license thing, right, where they had this uh, patent uh, clause or whatever in their open source license. And I think Facebook, there's still this perception that, oh, they must be up to something like, why would they give away these libraries for free? There must be a an ulterior motive. So I think it's kind of smart of Facebook to kind of keep these things independent. And but then then again, maybe that's why Relay doesn't have a big marketing push behind it, like uh, Apollo or, or even MobX, which if you have like one super motivated uh, open source developer or, or a small, small core team that can already be a a big force, I think. Yeah, I, I think you've got a pretty good read on that. Uh, I, I like to see Firebase up there. Um, and, and it was interesting, too, because that's kind of a uh, back end as a service. Um, you know, Parse was listed in the other um, yeah. know, REST APIs. Um, you know, again, we've seen major disruption in the front end framework er arena and then the in state management stuff. Um, REST APIs are holding really, really solid right now. And it's because it works and people know how to do them and there are terrific tools for building them. Yeah. And uh, GraphQL is still, still so new. Um, yeah. It's really hard to to compare. You know, I think what will be interesting is seeing the, the progression over the years. Like, does do REST APIs like kind of come down a little bit? Does GraphQL gain market share? But yeah, I'm not surprised. Like, there's nothing, and there's nothing wrong with REST API, right? It's kind of for me, it's the default, and GraphQL might or might not be better, but that doesn't mean 
anything about REST API themselves. Yep. I also thought it was interesting, the top thing on other was Vue-X. So, you know, going back to Vue coming right. up in yeah. uh, popularity, you know, it 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 definitely is, uh, you know, making a, an impact out there. Yeah, and uh, I want to address something. You know, people looking at that probably going, uh, like, what's up with having Vue-X and MongoDB and Meteor and uh, Parse in the same chart because these are completely different things but these are uh you know like free results and i think kind of points to how the like state management as a concept is not really well defined and for some people it means well my data is in mongo and that's how i manage my state some people it means well i'm using firebase some people it means i'm using a redux to manage data i get from firebase which is stored maybe behind the scenes, I don't know, in a Mongo database. So there's all these different layers and, and levels that can uh, work together and you can use three of them, maybe two of them, just one of them. And uh, I think that's why the category is still in flux and so like nebulous because there isn't like, it's not like uh, the front end or a build tool where every build tool's tool do kind of the same thing. State management is really uh, not as well defined. Yep. I think this does give a pretty good indication, though, that we're going to see some massive movement in the GraphQL arena, though, over the next year or so. Yeah, I think so, too. Anything else you want to add, Alyssa? Because I'm ready to talk about build tools. Yeah, let's move on. All right. So build tools, this was another interesting one. I, I First of all, I thought it was freaking hilarious that NPM was listed as a build tool. But I guess you can actually use it as a build tool. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, well, that's one thing people um, said last year, where I think it wasn't listed that oh, they use npm scripts, yeah, and they use it as a build tool. So we added it. But then, of course, you get people who might be using npm as a package manager and not as a build tool, but maybe they still they check npm as that, right? Yeah. Right. So it's really hard to know exactly. Yeah. I guess maybe you could be like, do you use npm run server or start or like, <laughs> like actually list a command and be like, is this you? <laughs> yeah, I guess we maybe we could do things like this if we build our own uh, survey backend, because currently we're using a type form, uh, which is a, a great service. But, you know, you, you are you have to fit your questions in their templates, basically. So you can have things with, with like. 20 different options or mm -hmm. autofill or, you know, things like that. Or maybe, you know, in the future, maybe we can, we know, if we know you're a React user, we can kind of uh, pre-fill some of the most popular libraries that work with React or maybe not, maybe that would influence the results. But, you know, what I mean is basically uh, maybe we should think about developing a custom survey tool just for this, but currently, yeah, we're kind of limited. Yeah, I think it's also interesting. Um, yeah, I went to look at last year just because I was curious to see because we don't hear much about like JSPM or System.js or, you know, Broccoli anymore. Um, Broccoli is what the CLI used to use for its builds, the Angular CLI that is. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's just, it's interesting just to be like, oh, okay, so... Did these tools go away? And it turns out that last year they really didn't clock in either. Um, 
But yeah, you know, we also still see a lot of people using Grunt, Gulp, and Browserify, which, you know, as much as you hear about Webpack, you know, people are sticking with what's working for them in a lot of cases. I'm yeah, so then, guilty there. <laughs> what was that, Alyssa? Uh, I said, I'm uh, I'm so guilty there. I, I definitely, I think at the time of the survey, I answered yes to that because I was still using Gulp. So, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Yeah, but this this is a tool, and and just to you know speak to this a little bit, you know this is a tool where you kind of configure it, you know, once you maintain the configuration as you go, and then you know you use it essentially when you deploy or when you you know prepare to right. test under certain cases and things like that. So it's not something that you're actively working on, and so why go rearrange part of your infrastructure? Because this is infrastructure; it's not it's not you right. know everyday code. It's code, but it's not everyday code. And so, yeah, a lot of people, you know, they're, they're going to have a system and they're going to keep using it until they have a, a compelling reason to change. So, yeah, yeah. until something, it's basically like until something's not working for them anymore, yeah. um, just because of the effort it goes into switching. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think some of it, you know, people are going to look at it and go, okay, you know, Webpack kind of will allow me to move up to ES6 or TypeScript or this or that or the other. And I don't want to have to configure Gulp for another three or four things. And I think some people will eventually come to Webpack because it makes it easier to, or has better access to modern tools for minification and things like that. I, I think there are going to be a lot of reasons why people wind up moving, but still. I mean, let's admit the side of some people will also be guilted by their friends, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the other Especially thing, if they're friends with uh, Sean Larkin, I guess. Yeah. Dang it. We just got called out. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I thought was interesting on this one was that, uh, you know, how many people are using one tool? It wasn't that many, maybe 10%. Um, and then uh, two libraries was, uh, you know, 8,000, so about a third. And then three libraries was still, you know, pretty close to, you know, more than a quarter and less than a third. Um, you know, and I wonder if NPM's throwing that off, you know, where pretty much everybody's using NPM plus something else. But right. I think also what we see is that um, Gulp does more than just build. And, you know, Webpack, Webpack can, but people, at least the people I'm talking to generally don't. So you could use Gulp for a lot of your scripting and, you know, common tasks and things like that. And then you've got Webpack for your build. So I can, I can see why there's a spread on this one because they, they all do different things uh, well and differently. Boy, you even have 120 people using six of these tools. The crazy <laughs> I, I don't know how they stay sane. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, it would have to be like, I'm maintaining this one client. I have a personal project in this. My company uses this, right? Like, I mean, there's no other. <laughs> yep. So one last thing that I want to talk about really quickly, and of course, this doesn't bear so much on Angular as it does on JavaScript, but um, other tools that didn't quite fit into any category, Yarn outpaced NPM. Yeah, that's surprising, right? Um, you know, I don't really know why. Uh, I guess Yarn got a huge popularity boost uh, last year. Um, 
Yeah, I was surprised as well. Fundamentally better. I don't. I think for a while it was faster, but I don't. I don't feel the difference when I use them. Um, I also know though that a lot of outside the JavaScript ecosystem tools, so like Rails, for example, if you use the Webpacker gem in Rails, it uses Yarn. And so I'm wondering if that also impacts. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, so I'm wondering if some of these frameworks, you know, on the back end in other languages leaned toward Yarn at some point and kind of pushed it over the edge Mm. that way. But of course, people would have to know that they're using Yarn in order to answer the survey and say that they're using it. That's true. Yeah, I'm wondering how many people are like, actually, no, I like that's how I install things. Yeah. Well, maybe it's kind of kind of goes back to what we were saying about early adopters, right? Uh, there might be some bias, like here specifically, where uh, the, the type of people who are going to answer the survey are the type of people who will use Yarn over NPM, just because it's newer and has more momentum, maybe. Uh, I'm sure like in the, ab- the absolute numbers, NPM is still much larger than Yarn. So. Well, and they both use the same, um, what do you call it? Uh, not repository. They both use the same backend and pull the packages from the same system. Yeah. But as far as like your guys' knowledge, neither one of them is like more secure or anything. Like No. And in fact, they tend to okay. borrow. We did an, an interview with the um, folks that do the NPM client. So I think it was Rebecca Turner that came on and talked to us about it. And she mentioned that a lot of, a lot of the performance improvements were things that they had either taken from Yarn or were inspired by Yarn. And then Yarn, in turn, had actually taken or been inspired to change things because NPM did a few things that they hadn't thought of. And so at this point, I, I think it's a pretty useless arms race, but I'm also happy that people are willing to go out there and build their own thing because they're unhappy with the way that, you know, yeah. NPM was I slow. Mean, it's or how we push things forward, yeah. right? Like, I think if all we had was NPM... It- wouldn't be where it's at right now so yeah well the way i use npm and yarn is basically i type npm install and then if anything goes wrong i type yarn and see if it works better (laughs) oh my god do you really that's awesome (laughs) wait like can you do that you're talking like on the same project are you like allowed to have both that seems wrong they put everything in (laughs) node modules it it all works the same at least to the end user yeah When they I thought something yarn, would implode if you use both. <laughs> no, because when they created Yarn, they wanted it to be 100% compatible with NPM. They didn't want you to have to go and do a fresh Yarn install. I they wanted see. it to pick that up from where sense. NPM. Yeah. So, and I'm still, I'm still surprised. I have to admit this, and people are going to probably tell me on Twitter why I was wrong to be surprised by this, but Bauer still. Oh, it's still kicking. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it it. It had almost 5,000 people say that they're still using it. Jeez. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a cool tool, but, you know, I've used it twice in my life, so. I just remember, like, the bird. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's what my husband's argument for why Ember is better is he says their logo is better than Angular's. And I'm like, you're the worst. That's also how he picks football teams. So, mm. (laughs) 
So mm-hmm. if if there was a football team out there that had a funny looking gopher as its uh, mascot, gopher. oh, it would probably have like yeah, we'd have those t-shirts and hats all over our house for sure. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> all about the logo. I wonder how many other people though are actually a sucker for like branding. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I would say probably a, a lot or a lot more than they would admit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, we've been talking for about an hour. Is there anything else in here that we missed that you think uh, people should be looking at as far as trends or ideas? Either of you? Uh, I do want to mention um, VS Code. I was surprised by how popular it, it got really quickly. So it was the number one text editor by far like almost double the next one, which was Adam and then Sublime Text. Mm. And since then, I've actually switched to VS Code myself, and I, I really like it. I can see why it got so popular, but it kind of blindsided me, to be honest. Like, kinda, it wasn't on my radar at all. <laughs> and, yeah. I've got the exact same story as you, where I well, I was fighting it for the longest time, and I was, because I really, really freaking love, like, Adam. And... So I really wanted Adam to work and I finally like installed VS code and I just tried it out. And like, you know how like you, you get really comfy with something and you have like all of your configuration and all your packages and stuff set up. So it's like, you know, I opened VS code and obviously it was uncomfortable because it was a dark theme and I hate dark themes and there was all this extra crap that I'm going to have to go and change. But you're right. Like I started writing TypeScript and I was like, Okay, fine. I like I get it, right? Like so, I I did fight it though because I I, just, I guess I just loved the idea of Adam more than like it was actually working for me or not. It was just like I wanted to use Adam and I fought it for so long. So yeah, I'm with you, Sasha. I'm now on the VS codes. <laughs> well, they're both built on Electron, so. Hmm. So do you think you could have like? Because I was wondering if I just configured like because I know you install whatever packages you want on either one, and so I was wondering like. Did I just not install the right like IntelliSense packages? Because it was like I don't know for some reason Adam was not behaving like an IDE for me like like VS Code does. So well, VS Code comes with the TypeScript <clears throat> engine built into it. Okay. And the TypeScript engine is maintained by the same team that maintains v- VS Code, and so their IntelliSense oh. is killer because of that now you you could tie that into adam but somebody would have to go and write all of the (laughs) tie-ins themselves whereas with vs code it's all maintained by the same people and so it is it's it's awesome that way um i can point people to a few episodes that we've done on javascript jabber where we've talked about visual studio code i think i've put them in this feed too um but uh, i wind up going to the microsoft events and talking to um, Chris, uh, Dias, <laughs> like every six months. And I'm like, what's going on with VS code and what's going on with TypeScript. <laughs> and so, yeah, we kind of get the rundown. Um, I do have to point out that, uh, people that the text editors graph just shows that people don't know what's good for them because, uh, I, I, I get way more work done in Emacs than, than is fair. What? So. What? what is Emacs? Emacs. Oh, Isn't that the the Apple computer uh, with uh, the the plastic shell? <laughs> uh, no, no, Emacs, not iMac. Oh, okay. Anyway, no, Emacs is an an, an olden times uh, text editor like Vim. Emacs. Yeah. Never heard of this name. You're, I think you're, you're making it up. You're making me sad. <laughs> I'm gonna cry now. <laughs> Isn't it like a large African bird like that can't oh fly? Oh my god, it is, and it's a large African bird. Yes. See, All right, let's do, let's, let's do picks. Let's do picks. 
<laughs> I'm gonna go cry on my pillow after this. <laughs> Kids these days, right? No. Oh man. Uh, I don't have a pick. So, are you? Do you guys have picks? Are you? So, uh, um, I I do. Sasha, do you have some picks? Do you want to go? Are you ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day intense workshop class for individuals or teams. They cover Angular 4 and 2 and focus on the skills and knowledge you need for complex, data-rich applications. They also still offer AngularJS for teams supporting older projects. Bring them to your site or send developers to them in St. Louis, San Francisco, New York, D.C., and other cities and online at angularbootcamp.com. Uh, sure. So I'm, I'm going to pick our uh, sister project. I, I mentioned it in passing, but it's uh, Rising Stars. Um, so what is it? Risingstars.js.org. And um, so what we did is, yeah, get all the stats, uh, all the GitHub stars for all the main, the big JavaScript projects uh, of last year, and then uh, make rankings by category. So you have overall and uh, spoilers, view is number one, React is number two, and, and it gets more interesting. But you also have like frontend, Node.js, uh, React, View, build tools. So, yeah, speaking of build tools, um, can you guess the number one build tool for last year in terms of uh, stars increase? So not total stars, but like just added stars. I would guess Webpack. Yeah, Alyssa, is that your guess oh, as I well? I have no idea, so I suppose so. What what was it? It was actually Parcel. Oh, oh. interesting. So Weird. Parcel in, in one month put on more stars than Webpack in the whole year. Oh, wow. Weird. I've been looking at Parcel. It looks really interesting. Does it? Oh, I haven't yeah. looked at it at all. Yeah. Um, we've been trying to get them on JavaScript Jabber. Oh. So. Yeah, I, I don't know, like, I don't know much about it, but it's certainly like hit a nerve. And uh, it's really impressive. Like, in fact, we didn't even have data for it because it was so new. So we had to kind of get the data from another, like, uh, similar, like, JavaScript uh, uh, scraper site. They were uh, nice enough to share their data because, uh, yeah, it's just so new. It kind of took up took us by surprise as well. Wow. Yeah, it looks like it's super fast. It it reminds me in a lot of ways of Webpack, but it seems like it's a little bit friendlier to use. Um, but this is all just, I mean, this is just by looking at their webpage and kind of fiddling with it for five minutes. So, you know, you can take, take that with a grain of salt, but anyway. So yeah, that's my pick rising stars JS. And then if you want, that's like the, the one once a year, uh, thing we do. And then there's a best of JS.org, which is uh Michael's, uh, directory of JavaScript stats. Um, so that's also like a, a really cool resource. Nice. Well, I'm going to pick a few things here myself. First of all, um, I took my daughter, uh, to a movie on Saturday and it's probably been the best movie going experience I've had in a while. Um, Black Panther? I, <laughs> no, it wasn't Black Panther. I still want to oh. see that. It's, it's on my list, but, uh, uh, and I tend to want to see the Marvel movies before I take my kids. She's 10, so she's a little bit... Mm. She's kind of on the bubble. Anyway, um, but I had gone and seen The Greatest Showman, and I've been listening yes. to the soundtrack over and over and over again because it's so good. Um, they have a sing-along version of the movie, and you can go see it in the theater. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
so, maybe like in like cool cities because like you know i live in a backwoods town so i don't think that <laughs> yeah, i don't know i don't i don't i don't i don't know about oklahoma but they have it here so we went and saw it and sang along with it and anyway had a good time it was a ton of fun so that was that was terrific um yeah black panther's definitely on my list but i haven't seen it so i don't feel like i can pick it and then uh i do want to also shout out we're doing a react dev summit i did an angular one last year and uh so you can definitely uh check those videos out they should be coming out here in may um as we start to ramp up for the next one um but i'm doing one for react i'm doing one for javascript and that one will be in may as well um the react conference will be at the end of march so if you're interested in any of that stuff you can go check that out uh we did talk about other frameworks and we're putting together podcasts on react and view so uh, reactroundup.com and uh views on view.com um we'll get you to those podcasts and uh yeah just a lot of stuff going on i'm also uh over the next week so by the time you get this because this will come out in like two weeks um we uh i've been i've been uh, updating my get a programming job course so if you're looking for a job or you're thinking about getting a raise um i I kind of attack both because i feel like um i think they're both very closely related you just have to do a bunch less homework if you're trying to get a raise um but you're essentially applying for a better paying job when you're trying to get a raise and so you know I, i talk about how to pull that together and make a good argument for it because you have to make an argument to get hired anyway. So anyway, if you're looking for either of those, um, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, you can find it at getacoderjob.com. Uh, that'll take you to the right place where you can register for that course. Um, and we walk you through the whole process and show you how to find the right people, get to know the right people, um, how to get on their radar, how to make friends, um, and how to turn the conversation to getting a job. Um, you know, I encourage you to make friends because you want to make friends. But it does help to be known by people in the companies you want to work for. And so, yeah. So, essentially, the process is you find a company you want to work for. um, You start identifying what they're looking for. um, And we tell you how to identify the company you want to work for. It's not just, oh, that one looks cool. Um, But anyway, so then you, you get to know the people there. You find out what they want. You figure out how to show them that you are what they want. And then, um, you know, we talk you through the process of applying um, in some in- unconventional ways, in some cases, getting through the interview, negotiating your salary, and then getting a job. So anyway, um, if you're interested in all that, then uh, go check it out, getacoderjob.com. Um, but yeah, lots of stuff going on here. And then finally, the last pick, um, and Alyssa knows about this um, because she watched a couple of convention employees walk in and stand behind uh, an interview I was doing and have a <laughs> chat on the video um thankfully i have good mics and so it should have uh, cleared a lot of the background noise out but i interviewed most of the speakers from ng atlanta and a few other people and i've been putting those up so as we speak i have three of the videos up by the time this goes live they should all be up so if you're interested in kind of an overview and in some cases kind of a follow-on to the talks that we're giving at ng atlanta then check those out and i'm sorry i took so long on the pics all right, Sasha, <laughs> if people want to see what you're up to these days or, you know, get a hold of you and talk to you about JavaScript and, and all that stuff, what, what are the best places to do that? Uh, probably Twitter, just at Sasha Grief, S-A-C-H-A-G-R-E-I-F. 
Um, yeah, and um, if you're uh, interested in checking out Vulcan, vulcanjs.org, uh, we have a very active Slack chat room, and we're trying to like build the ultimate JavaScript framework that will bury all others. So, <laughs> nice. Well, we'll see. <laughs> awesome. Now, one more question I have for you. Um, it it seems like you're you're more on the entrepreneur end of things. And if you go to your website, you say entrepreneur. So I'm curious, are you a freelancer or are you working on some other product? Do you have something else going on that you want to talk about real briefly? Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of, uh, well, currently I'm actually working for a company here uh, in Japan um, using Vulkan to build a product for them. So that's pretty cool because I can, you know, kind of dog food my own framework and mm -hmm. contribute to the open source aspect at the same time. So that's kind of my, my day job, I guess. And then I have a, a newsletter called a Sidebar at Sidebar.io, uh, which is a newsletter of design links. And that's also built using Vulkan. So uh, that's another way I can kind of monetize my open source work, I guess. All right. Very cool. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this show up. Thanks for coming, Sasha. No worries. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, we'll wrap this up and we will catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>